So we just got to meet one of our soul sisters uh, on this journey to self-discovery and, and self-healing, self-love. And uh, it's funny because like talking to her was, was a lot like talking to you. Yeah, I think we're going to be best friends, but she doesn't know that yet. Um, <laughs> and you guys are going to love hearing all her insights and wisdom around, like you were saying before and during the call, our human condition. Mm -hmm. So uh, stay tuned because we, we just got off a recording with Heather Monroe. She's an integrative psychotherapist who just has such a huge heart and just cares so much about the world, uh, our circumstances, what gets us to where we get to, the stories that we create, how we uh, maybe don't show up in the way that we know that we could and uh and where to start to pay attention to healing and how to sort of begin the journey right mm -hmm. yeah it's a really great episode listen till the end because she really does paint this beautiful story and picture of like, what life could be if we are just able to give ourselves moments of pause and moments of reflection in our pains and traumas and all that we carry on our backs yeah so tune in and let us know what you think Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with my amazing wife, Dr. Sonia Jensen. And we're going to have a fun conversation today with someone that I've been like dying to meet uh, in person. Unfortunately, with the world that we're in, we have to just have our first introduction over Zoom. But I've been following Heather for a number of years now because she's connected to a dear friend of ours, Tommy Rosen. And she's working magic. I mean, to be in the field of uh, mental health and to be a psychotherapist that has this integrative focus is exactly what Heather Monroe brings to the table. And when you hear her speak, you're going to want to listen because there's incredible nuggets she's, that she's going to be dropping along the way. And of course, we love to talk about all these conversations in relation to uh, heart health and just that emotional body and healing from that uh, lineage that, that we're all connected to, whether we're aware of it or not. So uh, without further ado, Heather, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. All the same to both of you. I Like I said before, I feel like we know each other because of Tommy. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, I always think it's interesting, you know, and I've said this before in different podcasts, but the, the opportunity to sort of meet your extended family through the ethers and to see that people are doing different things, but have the same heart center, heart space as they approach, you know, the, the area of expertise that they're aligned with. So um, I want to, I want to sort of open the conversation with, you know, what is relational trauma and how does that impact our lives and why is it so important to you? Yes. Yeah, so relational trauma has different, let's, let me see. How do I how do I explain this? Because uh, it's it's got different tentacles, if you will. Relational trauma can be anything from having a toxic relationship and having uh, so there's that relational piece. You know, as human beings, we're hardwired for connection, and so whenever there is a wounding in that connection, there and that that is how I describe trauma as a wounding. So whenever there's a wounding in that connection, especially core connections, so you think about family of origin, where we come from, um, it, that is where we get into generational trauma. We can get into generational trauma. We can also get into, you know, what, what, we, what I know as relational trauma in the family of origin and relational trauma in the family of origin. I define it as a consistent disruption in a child's sense of love and safety, both emotionally and physically in the family. And if you look at trauma like that, trauma is no longer exclusive. It's no longer this elusive thing because we have all experienced it. Trauma is, is a universal human experience. We all have the wounding, which creates the blueprint from which we have to heal in this lifetime. And I think that when we look at trauma, 
relational trauma to not, it's not, it's not what happened to us. It's what happened inside of us. Mm. And when we look at the nervous system and how, you know, how our nervous system reacts to disconnection, whether it's a constant, subtle disconnection, like a more, more uh, polished, like a more um, covert disconnection, whether that's like shaming and blaming or psychological control or withholding love in the family as a means of controlling behavior, Um, you know, emotional with, uh, if one parent was emotionally withdrawn, or if we're talking about, you know, abuse, neglect, physical neglect, um, more so like big, you know, big overt traumas. Uh, It really is about what happens inside our nervous system and how that wires our brain, how that wires our, um, our, the way that we will connect to ourselves, to each other and to our environment later on in life. Hmm. Yeah. I love that definition because it does really bring into awareness that we all have aspects of this within us. And we don't have to have these big things happen, but it really is the subtleties of our everyday, especially as a child and seeing our children, you know, sometimes their responses and their reactions and their faces, if say we're busy doing work on our phone to them, they're seeing, you know, mom's not paying attention to me. And here I have this um, artwork or a story to share. It's these like micro moments that, you know, create that story within them. And I think that's so key. What you said is just being able to see that from the other side is so important. Yes. And that um, I, we are so in a culture of ambiguous grief, ambiguous grief is like mom's right there, but like, I'm calling her name and she's yeah, 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 honey. And so I'm there, but I'm not really there. It's this ambiguous grief that so much of our so many of our children, I know my children go through it as well. We have to be so conscious as parents nowadays, um, so much more so than maybe before, when, because we have these distractions uh, in front of us that take, that take the connection away, that sever the connection right there in an instant from our loved ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel that all dis-ease comes from disconnect, like you were speaking to before. And when I was doing research for my book too, and focusing more on trauma and hormones, it's going back to even when we're in the womb and all the different hormones that we're receiving from our mother and her environment. And how you were saying that safety is one of the key things that we're searching for, especially in infancy, like everything around us that we're observing is telling us a story of how we need to be in order to be safe in our environment. So I'd, I'd love for you to maybe dive into that piece and then beyond that, the lineage piece too, because I do feel like we carry those stories through grandmother, great-grandmother, seven generations, 14 generations. Um, so yeah, just bringing some, maybe enlightening us on just what you've seen through that passage of story. Yeah. So I love that you touched upon the, the natal experience, the prenatal experience, um, and to a certain extent, epigenetics and how that shapes our nervous system as well. But, you know, attachment is based on two primary things, protection and nurture. Do we feel safe and do we feel nurtured? And when there is an inconsistency around protection and nurture perceived or otherwise, right? Um, That is going to create a wounding around, around, around how we show up in the world. Like, do I matter? A baby who cries and the caretaker knows they have a wet diaper or they need to be fed, that baby intrinsically in the biological system knows my voice matters. If I cry, someone is going to listen and pay attention to my needs. And then as we get older, those needs become more complicated. And hopefully there's an attunement there that, um, that can create like more nurturing and more safety and protection. So that child grows up knowing that they, that they have attunement in their world and then they can be more attuned, but there's so many things that take us out of attunement like through no fault of anyone else's. Um, And I really want to put an emphasis on that because if wounding is a part of the human experience, it means that no one escapes it and that um, no one's to blame for it. It's, it's, 
everyone's trying the best that they can given their own, given their own, you know, their own wounds and their own needs. So where generational trauma comes into place is, um, let's take an example. If uh, you had a caretaker, let's say, let's say a mom who was really obsessed with uh, weight and how much they weighed, how much you weigh, that kind of thing. Chances are their mother had a history where her mother was really concerned about weight and that a woman's, a woman's value is based in weight. And, and then her mother might've been an alcoholic and, you know, was very much tied to her worth being around what, you know, what she looked like and back and back and back. And so these woundings are coming from generations and generations and generations of messaging that we're getting. Um, we can look at it through, if we look at it even more generalized, like men, uh, men don't cry, men get angry, men don't get sad. That is generational wounding happening right there. There's a message there that's happened for hundreds of years that that's baked into our culture, not all cultures, but our culture, you know, women are docile, women don't talk. That's, and a lot of, I think the anger that women and men experience sometimes isn't even our own. We're experiencing a rage or an anger that's, that comes from centuries of what our, what, what our gender or what our religion has gone through you're experiencing just energetic traumas all the time. If that makes sense. If we get into like real subtleties. I love that because if we were to pay attention to this, we may just stop beating ourselves up so bad, you know, because mm -hmm. I think it's common for us to really get down on ourselves for behaving or feeling a certain way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I taught a class on forgiveness <clears throat> last night and it was all to a group of women and that's exactly what came up. It's like, we're so hard on ourselves for, for those moments and for the stories that we've been holding on to. And often they're not even ours, but the energetics have come in so deeply imprinted into our souls that it's hard to differentiate. So how do you help people understand that and discern what is truly theirs and what's been held in their psyche or their imprints um, from generations before? I think that part of it is psychoeducation, that I think psychoed is a really important part of, um, of therapy, but also in, in creating intention of what, like, what, what do you want? What is your therapeutic goal? Here's the neurobiology of trauma. Here's how it shows up in our bodies, in our spirits, in, in our psychological makeup. Like what, what is the intention of coming here into the sacred space? Like, what are we working on here? So I think psychoeducation is a huge part of what I do um, as a therapist and as a, as just a, a teacher and educator. Um, I also find that the trauma takes us out of the moment. It either projects us into the future um, because of our past, or it keeps us trapped in the past. And that can look different in our nervous systems. You know, if we're too much in the future, we tend to be highly sympathetic, like nervous system oriented, anxiety, uh, go, 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 go. And if we're stuck too much in the past, we tend to be shut down, more of depressive, more hopelessness and helplessness. I've found that the most powerful healing happens in the present moment. Because everything that I need to know as a therapist, as a healer, and everything that that client needs to know about themselves is happening in the moment that it happens. Um, and that a lot of people are very ungrounded, including, including myself, if I'm not conscious. You know? We so, all are. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it's, there's a lot to be, there's just a lot to take us out of the present moment. Uh, in, in these days. And there's a lot of reasons to want to be out of the present moment, <laughs> given what our planet's going through, what our humanity is going through, just, it, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. Um, but if we can embody presence, uh, and what I mean by that is truly, so I study somatic experiencing and somatic experiencing taught by Peter Levine is all about 
uh, is all about tolerating and healing from trauma through the body, having the body be the vessel for healing. And so if, if we can regulate our nervous system in a, in a more consistent manner, if we know what's going on in our bodies before we're having the panic attack, before we're having the racing thoughts or before we're hopeless and helpless, there's all these little steps that happen before then. And that takes incredible presence. And so embodiment would, is really coming into our bodies, not just our heads, but like, what am I feeling in this moment in order to then, um, in order, in order to then sit in discomfort, which is, you can imagine like incredibly uncomfortable, but to be able to practice sitting in whatever we're feeling and just being curious and seeing what happens next. And a lot of the time with clients and with myself and my own healing is that what I run from is really what's going to heal me. Like I'm running from the present all the time because I'm so scared something's going to catch up to me, the big monster. And Peter Levine talks about this, that all of our fears are really paper tigers. All of, you know, all of, all of those tigers and monsters are all just made out of paper. If we just take the time to lean in and be present enough to, um, to create a bigger window of tolerance for discomfort. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's powerful. I mean, I can't help but think that so many people are stuck in, you know, and they don't realize they're doing this, I think, you know, in this sort of victim world where we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for things that are happening to us. And we keep, you know, writing the story that, that, you know, I'm not good enough or, you know, life is hard and, and all those things that happen to us, we really externalize. And we don't really, you know, we don't have the tools of somatic listening and, you know, all the stuff that you're teaching. So what's, what's maybe a step that people could take um, in just bringing this awareness. So you, you talked about you know, present time consciousness and, you know, bringing, you know, more attunement to that moment and, and noticing where you're feeling in your body. But you know, for a lot of people, this is, you know, maybe new information for them that they're not quite aware of and nor are they, you know, have the capacity to, to know that they need to look somewhere. So what's sort of, maybe a beginning point for people to pay attention to some of these, you know, things where they can start to unravel some of that story. Yeah. So I would, I first look at the nervous system. Um, do you tend to lean towards a nervous system where you feel everything? And so you have a hard time regulating your own feelings because you're feeling everything all the time. And you, you have a hard time getting back to baseline or getting back to a neutral, somewhat neutral state Or are you the type of person that cuts off from their feelings and has a hard time feeling anything? Um, Depending on on where you are, as far as your nervous system, that's the beginning. Because if I have a client who feels everything and has a hard time regulating, I'm going to be working with them on grounding, like just uh, calming, really, really, scientifically research-backed proven techniques that ground you in your body, that slow your breath down, that, that stimulate the polyvagal nerve, that, that allow you to relax. And again, practicing, practicing, practicing. If you're cut off from your body and you don't even, you're kind of dissociated, you're not, you're really shut down. I'm going to be doing somewhat of the opposite with you. I'm going to want to be having you look to practices that bring you into your body. So a lot of our work is going to be, you said that you're really angry because a lot of times when you're cut off, you only realize it when you're, you only realize uh, emotions when they're super intense. So I'm really angry right now. So I would be practicing with you. What are more subtleties? What are the subtleties of emotions? Um, something, other things like holotropic breath work, you know, where you're really getting into the body, things like that. So it's different exercises depending on where you fit in your nervous system to become present. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the first step. And then a lot of it is just becoming curious of the stories we tell ourselves and really looking at that from an observational standpoint. So there's, I'm in the story, this is my story. And then stepping back and saying, isn't that interesting? The story I'm telling myself about that, there's an observer um, step back. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we totally resonate with that because part of what we try to teach as well and try to practice ourselves, um, especially with our children, I find um, what you were describing really is both our kids. Our youngest one is really much feels all the things and his love language, I feel, is touch. So once he's had his moment, if you just go give him a hug, all of a sudden, like things just kind of shift for him, his breath slows down and everything shifts, whereas our oldest is much more in his mind. So we have to help him come into his body a little bit more. And um, how so, you know, like we were talking about before, the, the story starts so long ago and some people may not even be aware that they're in their story they may still be in a stage, a stage, I was trying to say state and stage all at once. They may be in a place where they feel like they're valid in their story and in their emotion. And so how does that person become the observer? It's a great question. I think part of it is getting a little bit, uh, some neutrality. So um, everyone can recognize when they're triggered. Right. And I think that part of it is learning to go to take a pause between the trigger and the reaction, if possible, or even realizing I'm really triggered right now and and noticing where you go when you're triggered. So when I'm triggered, I go into reactivity and I need to get something done immediately to change the way that I feel. And if I'm in a particularly conscious place. (laughs) that day, I'm able to sit with that anxiety. Like all I want to do is make this phone call because I know that it's going to allow me to get out of this state, or I'm not even that conscious of that. I just want to make the phone call. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just sit with that feeling instead of making the phone call. So creating somewhat of a, of a pause in between trigger and reaction. Um, but I would also say that, um, because your question was how do people even become aware, right? Mm-hmm. When, when they're in a, when they're in a victim mentality or something like that, like if they're really tied yeah. to that story. Yeah. If they're really identified with it and feel very valid in, cause you know, um, bad, bad things happen, you know, things, challenges happen. And I think when we're in that space of knowing that that happened and it's kind of what Nick was speaking to before, it's like, we feel like it's happening to us instead of from us or or for us so how do we you know become aware that the universe is actually working for us and that we're just trapped so this is the practice of radical acceptance and it's again with with say this is why psychoeducation is such an important piece is you first have to understand like what radical acceptance is and how does it show up so it's it's just it's not a lot of people think that if I accept this, then that means I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. And that is not the true nature of acceptance. What acceptance really does is it allows us to look at what's happened and then choose our reaction to what's happened to us. And so again, it's slowing these things down for people. It's like, it's really slowing everything down so that someone can take a look at something that is really triggering to them or something that someone did to them and just taking it not as good as bad or bad, but it just is this thing happened. Now what, now what are my options instead of this terrible thing happened? I can't believe it. Cause now we're operating from a place of confusion, fear, invalidation, insecurity, Um, A colleague of mine said something really important uh, and it was, you might still make the same decision, but what frequency are you making that decision on? Right. Mm -hmm. So you might still decide to hold that boundary, to leave that job, to leave that marriage, but are you leaving it through fear, confusion, and insecurity um, or I'll show them, or are you leaving it through self-love? through loving the other person, same, same decision, different frequency. Because if we, if we leave it through the insecurity, we make decisions through those more low frequency feelings, it is going to create the story, continue to create the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Uh, You know, as you're speaking to this, you know, you said something earlier where you were kind of 
teaching about how the story that lives within us is, is part of, you know, our, our own healing or our journey that we have to awaken to or realize. Um, otherwise it becomes this repetitive pattern. And, you know, I can't help but think, you know, when we're in relationship, uh, maybe one of the people in the relationship may have a, a certain opinion about how the other person should be healing or the speed at which someone should be going through something. And I, I can't, I can't, I'm, 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 Are you talking, sort of, about my I'm talking about a friend that I know that's, uh, that has this experience. And, but I, I think it's really important conversation of in relationship because there is an expectation that I have of Sonia uh, or that my friend has of his partner, so, so to speak, where, you know, we hope that they catch on to something faster or clearly we're not seeing someone in their ability to go through their process on in the way that they need to. And yeah. I think it's, it's, it's often in a relationship where you really want the best for someone you want them to really get things. And, and we, 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 I notice in myself, <laughs> I come from a place of like, well, she should know this or, mm-hmm. or why doesn't she see this? Or why isn't she willing to take this on or he or whoever that may be. But I think it's, can you speak to that dynamic and relationship and how do we hold space for our partner and really just honor them and what they're going through instead of trying to have this expectation of like, they should be here or they should have gotten this or what have you. And, and I just want to say that I'm not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I love this. I love this question. It's something that my husband and I struggle with like all the time in our marriage. Um, Cause the other person can see something so clearly, but I also think the more important question uh, for the person who, so that, so one of the one of the questions is what is it like to witness your partner in pain mm. and not be able to do anything to to alleviate it yeah. and what does that elicit in you if you were just to sit with that feeling of watching the one you love the most struggle mm-hmm. do you find there's a difference uh, between is she asking me a question oh right <laughs> <laughs> Please, please. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, if, I don't know if you're asking the question or not, but I think that uh, that's that's a hard place to sit in for sure. You know, because you know, as a caretaker, uh, I don't want to see anyone that I love in pain. And at the same time, that's probably exactly or that's exactly what I need to do is just to hold space. And what's the fear behind seeing someone in pain and they're not getting it? What's the what's the what's the primal fear around that? I think that, that I can't fix it. Like yeah. I can't be there to, to make it better. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Is there any, is there also any fear of loss? Like if she doesn't get it, would I lose her? Would I lose connection? Yeah. I think like the, the person that I, that I know and love and the, and the one that I married, the one that I want to you know, spend the rest of my life with, if, if that person, you know, obviously I know she'll always be there, but what if that person that I know and love and, and know to be true. Uh, what if, what if that person can't come back? Yeah. I mean, that would be devastating. Yeah. 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 Because it's, it's usually most of our fights or disagreements or tension in relationship goes back to attachment and it goes back to connection and disconnection. So I feel disconnected or the fear of disconnection because disconnection on a real primitive set in a real primitive way, it means death to our species and that's hardwired in us. So if I look, when I do couples therapy, I'm always looking at where's, where's the fear of disconnection and where's the repair back to connection. And usually couples that have real like strong marriages are really good at finding repair and also families that have really strong ties uh, and, and uh, children with their parents. It's about the repair more than the injury, because we're all going to have those moments of disconnection and feeling like mom didn't see me just then, or my partner didn't see me in my pain, but how do we repair? How often do we do we repair and how um, successful is our repair? Like, how can we, how long do we stay in repair? That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the question I had um, is, do you find that there's a difference between men and women in that same scenario? 
just with how we're hardwired and, you know, for men, like Nick was speaking to the fixing piece and find often men are really wanting to fix because their self-worth is also tied to the fixing because that's what the story they've been told that it, it's your job to fix it. It's your job to protect. It's your job to be the security. And if that's not being reflected, then that creates challenge within. And for a woman, her job is to create that nurturing environment and also the, the cushion and the softness and all that. And if she's not providing that, then there's that self-worth within her. So do you find that it shows up differently for the two genders? Yes. And it also depends on what gender you identify with, because in, uh, I also know lots of women that are very, uh, that identify as women, but they also have a very fixed attitude because of their backgrounds, um, Mm -hmm. or women that, um, you know, or women in the same sex relationship where one might be more of a fixer and another, the other one might be more of the nurturer. So it's also like uh, how our nervous systems are wired, what are our core beliefs and uh, where is our core worth? Like, where does our core worth lie? And I think that the story and uh, also the way that our hormones are wired like men versus women. Yeah, I think that there is a biological wiring and also the, the story of each gender and the roles that they play completely. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause there is that yin and yang in both, right? So yes. sometimes a woman has to be in her young in order to get through the day, or maybe she has some past trauma that helps support her. And then that's where she got stuck. Exactly. So how do, again, um, I think I know the answer to this, but maybe just for our listeners. So how does a woman or a man or anyone that identifies with either or stay balanced in that yin and yang so that we can use the gifts of each side without getting stuck in one and then playing out the roles with each other? Because it almost kind of creates this tug of war then needing yeah. that balance from the other to bring the balance within. So how does one identify that and then maybe help each other support I love that question. And I think that it, it, I think that, uh, that yin and yang is so important. It's like, I think that's why opposites attract do really well sometimes together. Um, but that in our own spiritual journey, I think is the journey is finding that harmony where, where can I soften and where can I, where do I need to muscle up a little bit? Um, Again, I really like the by looking at the nervous system uh, because it really takes the, any personal or pathology out of it. So for me, my nervous system is wired much more towards shutdown, so much more towards depression. And so I tend to um, be go with the flow, like, but also can get into like isolation and just not do anything and just be in the same place and not adventurous. And like that, again, going towards shutdown, if I'm below my window of tolerance, you know? And so my challenge and my husband is the opposite. He's very much like spontaneous and like adventurous, but he also deals with anxiety. Like can be crippling anxiety at times. So he can see my depression so clearly, like where I go into shutdown and I can see where he ramps up into anxiety so clearly. But when I task that onto myself and say, okay, I'm getting into isolate. I know I'm an introvert, but this is, this is going, <laughs> we're really skating the line here today. Yeah. It's my job to change that for myself. So for me, with my nervous system, exercise is hugely important. Like meditation is something I uh, gravitate towards, but that makes sense that I gravitate towards it because I can just sit and like breathe and slow down. That's more towards me. Um, But it's really exercise, getting up and getting moving. That is actually like detrimental to me um, and my nervous system. Whereas Jameson meditation, it's what he avoids the most. And it's actually what his nervous system needs the most. When he meditates every day, he doesn't have anxiety, uh, panic attacks. When I exercise like almost every day, every day, I'm a different person as far as like my depression and my shutdownness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's finding that harmony within ourselves. 
Yeah, we're giggling because um, us. you just spoke about us. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were just. Yeah. <laughs> you were saying in the beginning, he's like, you're going to love Heather. And I'm like, oh, now as you're speaking, I'm like, yeah, we are the same. Yeah. <laughs> the same person. I knew it. As soon as I saw your face, I was like, ah, I'm home. <laughs> Sister, sisters. Yeah, it's funny that you said it like that, too, because I really see uh, uh, exercise as medicine for Sonia. Yeah. Whereas meditation is just, that's, an, that's more of a natural state. And I love natural how you state. describe the two. Mm -hmm. it's it's beautiful and we may have tendencies where we feel more comfortable and we often spend most of our time there and that's not necessarily our medicine that's just where we can naturally swing and we can naturally move towards so that that differentiation is so important I think for people yeah and even in working out like I stopped working out with my husband because he's always like come on Heather you can do it like five (laughs) more pounds and I'm like God damn it. Fine. <laughs> like you found the weight over here. But he has a point that I will yeah. stay at two pounds of weight for an entire year as I'm trying to build <laughs> muscle because pushing myself is not my thing. It's not my MO where mm-hmm. he goes like, I'm benching this much today and like just wants to push it. And so that's like the yin and yang, but I can take a little bit from him. I hope yeah. he never hears this because he'll just <laughs> ride with that. Well, I was laughing once because a friend of ours is a personal trainer and I go see her weekly and she didn't know the level of strength I could <laughs> capture and so she would give me these weights sure and I never questioned and I don't know if you told her or what happened and I went to her last week and then she's giving me like double the what she was giving me before mm-hmm. like oh something happened here she's, <laughs> she's figuring me out <laughs> yeah exactly we need just a yeah. little push of like yeah. got this <laughs> yeah. I, I want to go back to some of the stuff that we were talking about before just to, to help people I guess, you know, you gave some really wonderful steps of like where to get started and how to start to do the psychoeducation that you described so beautifully. Um, let's say someone's got a really deep traumatic experience. There's something, it's not just the micro trauma. It's, it's, the, it's the more impactful stuff yeah. uh, or the more obvious and impactful stuff. Um, it's a really dark place for people to pay attention to. And, and most of the time they're not going to want to go there. They're going to, you know, again, move into their natural tendency. So there can be some really dark and ugly stuff. And as you, you know, maybe start to re-experience it or go into it, 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 you want to push it away further. Mm-hmm. So what, what would be a journey like for people when, when there is that deeper, more obvious painful okay. stuff? I'm so glad you brought this up because I think that this um, is really important. Trauma work is not supposed to push people in the deep end of trauma. Like, I think that that um, in the beginning of, of, of people dealing with trauma, a lot of therapists would be like, well, tell me about your trauma. Like, tell me about what happened to you. And it's like, oh my God, I don't, the last thing I want to talk about is like, you know, my rape or something like that. But what we've learned, what the science and the neurobiology has taught us in the field is that you don't go right into a trauma vortex because once someone's in a trauma vortex, they're dissociating, they're in fight or flight, they're in freeze, all different kinds of things. What we wanna do as trauma therapists is that window of tolerance, we want to just get it longer. So if this is, you know, the bottom is, is freeze, shut down, and the top of the window of tolerance, if we go up, if we, if we pass it is fight or flight, we just wanna create more space in the middle in the middle of that. And so when I'm dealing with someone with an acute trauma who, who's really in a, uh, in a crisis and I'm doing somatic experiencing with them, we are not going into the acute trauma. We are in a sense, dipping our toes in coming out. And then the next time we might dip our toes in a little bit more and come out. So it is a form of exposure therapy, but so slight that it actually it doesn't feel that way. It feels like I pushed myself to a working edge and now I'm coming back and grounding myself. And so trauma therapy, I just want to like really um, emphasize this trauma therapy is not supposed to stimulate your fight, flight, or freeze response. Trauma therapy is supposed to give you enough grounding tools that you don't go into fight and flight or freeze Uh, So you go in it less and less and less and less. Also, if you have an acute trauma, that's showing up in the present moment. 
I don't need to go back and talk about what, what caused that I'm going to be working on, on, um, on expanding your window of tolerance in the places that it's already super small. And that might be a fight, a loud noise, you know, um, anything in the present moment. Yeah. I love that. What I hear you speaking to again is just that space, right? It's that Viktor Frankl quote where like the freedom Mm -hmm. lies between the space in between the stimulus and the response and the space within, right? So it really is expanding that space. And it's also like in meditation, it's that alpha bridge, right? Expanding the alpha state so that we can turn into that observer and not have to go back there completely, but just have awareness that that did that moment happened. And there's, you know, to validate ourselves that yes, it happened and yeah, here. And I think that is where things get tricky for a lot of people. And there's fear to even get into some sort of healing space because they don't want to go back there and it freezes them for even asking for help. A hundred percent. And I'm also really careful when taking a history or intake because certain modalities, trauma informed mindfulness is so important. Like if I told a client, okay, close your eyes. And now we're going to focus on the focus on the body. Well, the body's not safe. Like I don't want to focus on my body. Um, so then it's more, don't close your eyes. Like, let's just look outside. What do you hear outside? It's just raising their awareness around their surroundings. Look around, orient yourself around the room. What does that feel like? I want to gauge what is this person's capacity for discomfort. And then we move them. Then I'll move them slowly and little by little more inside. Is there any part of your body right now that feels safe, that feels anchored? It could be your toe. It could be, you know, could, it could be a piece of your hair, any place. Is it the back of your, your um, back, you know, that you can feel it on a chair and that's the work for the day, but that's real work. I mean, that, that is guiding someone, guiding someone back to themselves because that's really the only thing that we have that we can rely on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it's a, it's a male oriented, you know, not male, like sort of, I guess, like the fixer kind of quality, or maybe it's a Western sort of philosophy, you gotta, you gotta dig in, you gotta get to the heart of the matter and really like flesh that out. And, you know, and I can't help but think that some of this has actually found its way into like maybe modern spirituality, or even plant medicine, like, I got this big thing I got to work on, I'm going to dig it out, and then I'm going to be clear. And I love that what you're speaking to, because it's all these little things that happen to us on a daily basis. It's really like, if we became better at observing our circumstances, our body, our physiology, the state that we're in, our nervous system, our hormones, all that stuff, we would be able to see that there's like this magic and beauty and all these little present moments that happen throughout the day. And then uh, to your point, you, you're starting to create space for being able to observe more and to heal deeper. And it doesn't have to be this huge excavation. Because I tell you what, like, I mean, I was drawn to shamanic energy healing because like we can dig out this heavy stuff and then we're going to be so clear and so spiritual and it's going to be amazing. Um, but I think we can get the kind of caught up in that story a little bit. Oh my God. It's so true. And, and as you two know, the more you study mindfulness and the more you, you do meditation, you, the more you realize it's about the subtleties. Mm-hmm. So like when I started my meditation journey about 15 years ago, I would have these crazy experiences, like just uh, euphoria and like, just, it was like my body was recalibrating and I, and I was almost addicted to what I was experiencing. And then it just got quieter and quieter and quieter and not so cathartic and not so, and it, and it really has become so much more about just the subtleties. Kia, Tommy's wife talks about this a lot, just that yoga is about the subtleties Mm -hmm. and it's about frequencies and energies. And I'm actually applied to become, um, assisted. I applied to be in the, to to be in maps program to, to become, um, a therapist for assisted, you know, psycho, um, psychedelic therapies like MDMA and psilocybin. But I have a real awareness that like 
it's another way to excavate, but it's not, it doesn't mean that it's the only way or it's the only way that you can get somewhere. It's just that it puts us into an abnormal state of mind, just like meditation, just like hypnotherapy, just like holotropic breath work. And that is where a lot of healing the subconscious can happen, but it can happen in a myriad of ways. Yeah. And, and I think that's the beauty of it. You know, it's, it's bringing that sacred space and very, and being very intentional with what we're using these things for. And yeah. it just changes the energy of it. I mean, Sonia and I had an amazing uh, experience with plant medicine that really changed our perspective on how it could be used. And so, mm-hmm. and, and it becomes less about the medicine itself, but more about the space that it's creating. And it's, it's just shifting that, you know, maybe a state of consciousness, but creating an opportunity really to start to be aware of that space. And that, mm-hmm. that's cool. I, did, I didn't know that you were, you were doing that. That's amazing. Would love to hear more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the other... accepted. Yeah. <laughs> I just filled out the application. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Part two. This will be part two. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the big thing that I'm hearing you speak to, and I have felt in my own journey is um, it's the self-trust that you're bringing back into individuals because that in that losing of ourselves or in that disconnect, we either start stop trusting our own decision-making or we stop trusting the external world and our safe places. And you just going through that exercise with that individual of like seeing their space and knowing that they do have some power and some control over their circumstance and they can build that trust back. I feel like is what I heard that you are speaking to and I'd love for you to flush that out a little bit if that's resonates. Yes, I'm not interested in spending people's time doing talk therapy for years and years. I'm just not interested in it anymore. I'm interested in awakening for people what is already inside them and inside their biology, neurobiology so that they can heal themselves and they can, they can not rely on anybody else in the future except themselves in that knowing. So getting people back to the knowing that is innate in all of us. Um, and depending on the trauma history and the depth of the trauma history, that's going to take a certain amount of time. But we now know that we can rewire our brains at any, any time, which is just so exciting to me. Um, And that we can create like neutrality. I mean, the person that I was 20 years ago, you know, I've got, I I have a history of like of addiction and yet it's so neutral to me. It's not something I even bring up. I, I don't tell my clients anymore. Like, it's just, it's not a part. It's just, it's a, it's, it's, it's just information now. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more we rewire our brains and rewire and create an observation and um, balance in our nervous system and balance in our lives and, and, and man, and create the lives that we want to, to have um, stories about our past just become informative. They don't, they no longer, it's as if we separate our, we've separated ourselves from them. You know, we just don't identify anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I totally resonate with that. And I think that is the way forward. So we don't step into that state of being stuck. The thing, the pushback that I have seen, especially in um, spiritual communities is that they tend to relate to that maybe as spiritual bypassing and that we're, so maybe, I don't know if you can describe to me your experience around that um, description, because I don't feel like that's what's happening, but I do feel like that word has been used a lot lately, especially with all that's kind of going on in our world and all the unveiling that's been happening of the pain of you know, different groups of people. And I think maybe speaking to that a little bit would be good. Yeah, I if spiritual bypassing is interesting. So, okay, so what you were talking about, Nick, with like psychedelics and like people wanting to like excavate and then they're going to be free. Like to me, that to me is the desire to spiritually bypass something. Like I really believe that the human experience, we are supposed to feel pain. We are supposed to be in touch with, with other people's pain and collective consciousness and all those things. So 
I know that just because I'm elated right now, that that's going to change and I'm could be feeling pain later. I think that suffering is a choice and, and holding on to stories becomes the choice of suffering of just like, I'm in this mentality and the story and this loop of negative thinking, and I want to get out. Um, but it's really hard to what, I had to do in order to no longer identify as an addict, there was no spirit. There was nothing bypassing about that. That was like hard work rewiring my brain to no longer identify myself as a tragic heroine. Like I am not a tragic heroine. It's just not going to be my story. I know lots of people where, that is their story. They, they are the tragic hero. They are the tragic heroine. They're the brooding, you know, dark, broken, and it's, it's, it's in their stories everywhere, but to fight against that archetype, to fight against that narrative through meditation, through yoga, through um, my own healing and rewiring of my brain, there was just no bypassing about that because I had to feel all of it. So I think that, that creating neutrality is a practice. It is a daily, daily practice. It is looking for evidence of the contrary and that is exhausting and it takes practice It's um, and you, and you slip back and then you go forward, but yeah, it's uh, there's no bypassing um, that type of work. It's, mm -hmm. it's daily. Yeah, I think something you said in there is so important. I mean, all you said was important, but that piece of feeling elated right now, and then maybe you're going to be in grief in another moment. And I think culturally here, especially in the West, it's like there, there's this expectation that we should be up here all the time. Right. That we should be in joy. We should be. Well, I think joy is a little bit different than happiness, that we should be happy all the time. And, you know, in this other space of, I joke, like rainbows and butterflies <laughs> with Nick here. Yeah. And, um, and why aren't you like that all the time? Right. Yeah. yeah. So there's this expectation. So then when you do have those moments of feeling lower or really feeling what's going on in the world you feel like there's something wrong with you and then mm. you want to distract that or do you want to suppress it or that self-sabotage starts to show up but if you are in that space of curiosity that you were speaking to and knowing that this moment is it's just this moment that it's going to mm. change it's going to transform in the next yeah. moment and there and there's that window of tolerance again it's like can i exist in a place and this is what i i believe is part of the goal of, of my life is, can I exist in a space where a lot can happen to me? Like I can be in pain. I can, I can see, I can things, you know, I can see the, the, I can see the, where the planet is right now, what we're doing to her, like what we're doing to each other, the polit, you know, the politics and the divisiveness and the civil like wars that are all that. Can I be in that? and be in this moment and know that I'm okay. Like that's the window of tolerance and know that I'm okay because I have everything I need internally, like all my internal um, mechanisms to be present. And so I know in order to know what the next right thing for me is mm -hmm. to do, given all the circumstances. That's huge. Especially given the time we're in. <laughs> That, that that container, that space that you're creating, is full of uncertainty, yeah. And that's that's I think that's a piece that people really really struggle with. So can you, I mean, you just sort of laid it out there um, in such a beautiful way. How do how do we, you know, deal with that that level of uncertainty with that container? And and maybe you know, please share. I think that it's. Um... It's knowing like what our capabilities are in any given moment and doing what we can and letting go. Like my a mentor of mine said to me the other day, um, like letting go and saying, God, take this from me. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you aren't responsible for the, the next right action. It just means that you do the next right action for you and the rest needs to be taken care of. The result, the outcome 
So it's that focus of like, I'm going to compost. <laughs> I mean, let's take like a little thing like that. I, yeah. I had, a, I actually, for years, this was, this was really bugging me. I was like, I need to be doing something like the, every time I throw food away, it, it makes me sick given that like the natural green, green gases, you know, and all that stuff was one of the biggest things is just waste food waste. And finally, I was like, I'm going to start composting. That's like, that's something that I can do that my family can do. And it made the outcome a little more manageable to me. It's like, well, at least I'm doing what I see is the next right thing in this, Mm -hmm. in this situation. So yeah, it's doing what we're responsible to do for ourselves and what we believe is the next right thing. And knowing what that is, is getting is getting quiet with discomfort and looking at it from an objective, um, for as much, as much objectiveness as we can and much presence as we can, and then letting the universe do the rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, Cause it's that space of, um, attachment to outcome. I think that we just get stuck in. Right. And that's yeah. where, where that distraction can be from that center and that, and that, and that ultimate space that we're trying to create on a daily basis with our practice and meditation and breath work and exercise and all the things that we do. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, beautiful. And so I just want to say just quickly that you're also talking about a metaphorical composting in this experience, as well as a physical one, right? <laughs> <laughs> All of it. It's so true. I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to tell you that I had a client today and uh, she was talking about a dream that she had this nightmare of walking in her house and it was total squalor. It was like food was rotting and there were rats and there were also like rats caught in, in, um, in cages. And so they were like decomposed, like just the worst thing that you could possibly think of. And she walks into her house and she's like, Oh my God, I like her nervous system goes all revved up. She is ready for, you know, for fight. Like I got to get all this stuff done. And I said, let's just pause for a second as you're explaining this and let's just be in this mess and just look and see what comes up. Just invite, let's just see. And the most amazing in just like sitting in that, in her mind's eye of that mess, there was grief, there was sadness, there was loss, all these things. And she said, I realized that doing makes me bypass these feelings. And, and so what is, what is the wisdom in these feelings? Like, what does, what do these feelings have to say to us here that can, that, that are serving us, you know, and not serving us. So there's just so much like richness in the present moment. If we slow it down and and pay attention like to our bodies and, and presence. Yeah, I feel like we could do a whole other episode on just emotions, we just will. being the, our senses, right? <laughs> yes. our information, but yeah, <laughs> there's so much to unravel there. Emotions, as tools. Yeah. emotions <laughs> as tools, yes. 100%. So my last question for you, um, if you knew that tomorrow was your last day on earth, what is the imprint that you want to leave here? Oh, that's... I mean, the first thing that come, the first word is love. I don't even, I think that, I don't even know what that would look like, but I just, um, yeah, I just want to leave as much love as possible. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, to be continued, because uh, this is not the last of our connection with Heather Monroe. Um, thank you so much for sharing your your heart and your your consciousness and your just your beautiful way of describing the human condition and, and what we all go through and and for the mini therapy session you gave me today. <laughs> it reminds me awesome. of Ram Das. We're all just walking each other home. It's like. Yeah. But how hard is it? How hard is it to hold someone's hand as they walk their own journey? It's like, oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Heather. More to come. Lots of blessings to to you and your family, and your and uh, yeah, more to come. Looking forward to it. Thank you.
Yep, me too. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited Podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.